Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, we dedicate the entire show to Sony Pictures Classics' new release, Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story coming out in New York and L.A. theaters on May 13th. The director of the film is five-time Academy Award nominee Frank Marshall. The real special treat here is for me to to marry two of my great loves, music and movies, together. That's why it's so special to do Jazz Fest. Quint Davis is the executive producer of the documentary along with Jimmy Buffett. He's also the producer of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. The story, how the festival came to be, has never been told. The soul queen of New Orleans, singer Irma Thomas, joins us. She's featured in the documentary. We are the gumbo of music. And we're also joined by WBGO's film critic and creator of talk cinema, Harlan Jacobson. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. It's a celebration of New Orleans. It's music. It's food. It's people. It's culture. Sony Pictures Classics will release Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story in New York and Los Angeles on May 13th, before expanding to additional markets in the following weeks. And we have some special guests joining us on the WBGO Journal to talk about it. The co-director and producer of the film, five-time Academy Award nominee, the legendary Frank Marshall is joining us. Frank, great to see you. Good morning, Doug. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you. The soul queen of New Orleans is with us, singer Irma Thomas, who is Good featured morning. in the doc. Great to see you, Irma. Good to be seen in that view. <laughs> Fresh <laughs> off having some great food. Yes. Doctor, right before we started, Crawfish Monica is her. Yes. And some strawberry lemonade. And also joining us, Harlan Jacobson, who is not only WBGO's film critic, but the creator of Talk Cinema. Harlan, thanks for joining us. I'm just as pleased as Punch to be here. A little bit later, we will also be joined by Quint Davis, who not only is the producer of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, but he is the executive producer of this documentary as well. Frank, this has to be a film. You've done so many and so many wonderful films and documentaries, but this one has to be extra special for you. I want to take you back to your father your late dad, Jack, who was a record producer, recording artist, so involved in music. And I can tell that you're still playing the guitar. They're behind you here on this this, uh, Zoom session. Tell us about why music and your dad was so important to you. Well, I I grew up in a musical family um, and there was music all the time. As you say, my, my dad was a composer and also jazz guitarist. So there were guitars every, everywhere. We had people dropping by the house to jam all the time. Uh, my mom played a little bit of piano. So we were always engulfed in music. And so I, I think if I hadn't gone the film route, I would have been in the music side. Uh, and I've, I've always continued my love of, of music, you know, since I was born, I guess. And uh, the real special treat here is for me to music, to marry two of my great loves, music and movies, together. And um, that's why it's so special to do Jazz Fest. There is nothing like playing the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Are you ready? Nothing in the world. Whoa! 
Welcome to 50 Years of Jazz Fest, everybody. All the best musicians from around the world. 7,000 musicians on 14 stages over eight days. Music and sounds and flavors. The air is thick, not with just humidity. It's thick with culture. The world's greatest, you know, backyard barbecue. You can go see 93-year-old Dookie Chase, famous gumbo here in your face. This is the real stuff. You could have been here, you could have been here. There is no such thing as separation of culture in New Orleans. It's all blended together. It's no wonder that jazz was born in this area because the people are so enthusiastic. New Orleans is nothing without its artists. And being one of the best performers ever at Jazz Fest is Irma Thomas. And Irma, when it comes to, you know, Harlan was just talking before we started, too, about you are a favorite in the family and uh, you are a favorite of many. And so we're so excited that you're here to talk about it. Take us back to your first Jazz Fest. My very first Jazz Fest, ironically, I was visiting New Orleans and, and, and it was going on at the time. And I went over to Jazz Fest. And I sit in with the guy who got me started in show business, Tommy Ridgely, at the time. And it was back in 1974. So I've been a Jazz Fest person ever since. <laughs> That's fantastic. Frank, you know, one thing that is beautiful about this doc is the fact that the timeliness of it. Because we all know that, that COVID, you know, dampened a lot of festivals and whatnot. But you were able to start off this documentary with two people who have left, left us where you have George Ween and Ellis Marsalis. George Ween getting the whole Newport Jazz Festival off the ground and then realizing that New Orleans was a great place. So, so fortunate were you to have these two legends start off this dock. And unfortunately, they're not able to see it, but they know what was going on, right? That's correct. I mean, it is um, a bittersweet moment that we... You know, we're able to finish the film without them seeing it, but they brought so much. You know, we had to have them. They're legendary in, in Jazz Fest history. So it's great that we have both of them doing it, not only on stage, but doing an interview. So that was really, really special for us. And what I'm really pleased about with Sony Pictures Classics is they this is a movie that needs to be seen in the movie, th seen and heard in a movie theater. And they have waited and waited and waited um, to present it in a movie theater. And I I'm, I'm very thankful about that as well. We're, we're not going to stream. We're going to be there in the theater. So um, I had to change that card at the end a couple of times <laughs> because we didn't know when the next Jazz Fest, which is happening right now. So the card is right. Um, but yeah, having, having George and Ellis is just fantastic in the movie. Frank, where did all that great archival footage come from? Well, you asked um, kind of before we got started, Harlan, you know, whose passion this was and, and where the archival footage came from. Uh, it's the same person, and that's Quint Davis. The passion of, of Jazz Fest was electric when I first met Quint back in 2018. Uh, we were all together at an Eagles and Jimmy Buffett concert in Denver. And he said, you know, we've got the 50th anniversary of Jazz Fest coming up. And I think we should record it or shoot it or whatever you guys do out there in Hollywood. And uh, what do you think? And I said, well, it sounds great. In fact, crazily enough, I had never been to Jazz Fest. <laughs> 
and I had heard about it and I was very jealous of all those 50 years I'd never made it down. So um, I said, you know, let me see what I can do. And that's how it was born. Mm -hmm. You know, Irma, one thing that, that comes through in this doc is the fact that when you hear the word jazz festival, it was never all jazz at this festival. No. There were always different genres of music, whether it be gospel, whether it be other forms and funk. And it carries through to today with yes. all the different performers and wonderful performers, huge big time performers, pit bulls in this documentary. They don't get any bigger than Pitbull, right? Jimmy Buffett's <laughs> the executive producer. He ends with a song of this documentary. What's your favorite part? Of this being there, <laughs> yeah, I I bet. So you you've lived this. So what was your reaction when you saw the film? I haven't. Uh, I so haven't. we're fortunate we get to see it before Irma yes. Thomas does. Yes. Right? How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, part of it is COVID related. We haven't. We're going to have a screening uh, actually tomorrow night. Irma, I'm sure you've been invited to that. In, in oh yeah. Yeah, so uh, everybody's going to see, get to see it tomorrow night. Um, that was involved. So um, it's been a long journey, uh, but I, I, I feel kind of like it's the cure for COVID. That you know, this is, this is what people want to get out and celebrate and be together and dance and sing. And we, we had a, our first world premiere, uh, first screening was at South by Southwest last month. And people were dancing in the aisles. It was fantastic. One of the most beautiful concert experiences I've ever had. The music was cleansing the city and just showing everything's going to be all right. That's why I came here. There's a soul in the city. Life's to be enjoyed, not endured. And there's a lot of that. This can only happen in New Orleans. That's the magic of the festival. We're going to go out there and jam. We'll see y'all out there tonight. Well, if you if you would have been able to be out there, uh, I, I performed in the gospel tent this past Saturday. Not this, you know, this past Saturday, the, the first weekend of Jazz Fest. And it was phenomenal. The, the the people that were out there, they were happy. They were just overwhelmed with being able to be out and sing to and see some actual people for a change. <laughs> well, you, you know, people think of politics and politicians as a solution to all our social and civic problems. And they have their role. But this, after all, is a film about um, the response to disaster. Uh, first to Katrina, uh, yes. and now, of course, uh, to COVID. And what the film shows and what Jazz Fest really is the living testimony to is that uh, that New Orleans had a beating heart, that it hadn't flatlined, that you were alive and we should all come down, we should all come back, that you all should come off the roof or wherever you were and come back and start making music again and connect to people. But that's what's important. And you could take jazz to Ukraine tomorrow and makes people feel great. But here we are with a film that reminds us just how great um, music and how great jazz and how all the different 
jazzes or the musics that are here, whether it's B.B. King and blues or rhythm and blues or gospel or Zydeco or Cajun, it's all inside your film. Um, what do you think the role of culture, jazz, music is uh, in making us all feel better? It's a universal language. They're, they're, even though you go to countries where people don't speak your language, they know your music and they understand and they get great joy from hearing your music. And that's the, that's the good side of New Orleans. We don't have a specific genre. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are the gumbo of music. Yeah, I, I, I agree, totally agree with that. And, you know, music just gets to your soul and it makes you get up and dance and, and you forget about what's happening every day in everyday life. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like um, that culture and jazz started there in, in New Orleans. And uh, you really feel you you feel the diversification of everything there, people, music, food, culture. And uh, that's why it's so joyful just to, to listen to the, all these different kinds of music. Yes. You most recently did the Bee Gees documentary, which was incredible. And so now, now with, with, with this film, what's the different challenges in producing a doc as compared to Raiders, you know, or just, or Seabiscuit or Color Purple? I mean, I could go on and on with the list of amazing films that you, you've been involved with, but what is the challenge for you in a doc? Well, the, the biggest challenge is you don't know where you're going. In my, in my day job, I know exactly what we're doing almost every hour. I have a script, I have a schedule, I have a budget. You know, it tends to get a little bit boring along the way, but you, at least you know where you're going. With a doc, it's free. You have the freedom to go anywhere. You're going this way, that way. And it's kind of like, uh, a, a, like a treasure hunt because you're constantly getting this input, uh, particularly Harlan, like you were saying, from the archives. I mean, there would be this footage that would come up of George Ween and Mahalia Jackson in the first Jazz Fest. I mean, hallelujah. I, I can't. And and we had the sound, you know, so uh, how do we work that in? So it's it's kind of the opposite of making a feature film that you just have this freedom to go any direction and you're putting together as you go along. You know, the only problem that I had, and Harlan, we'll get to you in a second, because I want to talk to you about the screening that we're going to have, too, is the only problem I have with this film is I wouldn't be able to smell all the food, right? <laughs> you got the gumbo and the crawfish and everything. If we could create films, Frank, that now you could smell, too, then, then we've got everything together. Harlan, we know there's a screening coming up in our area, too. Yes, there is. We're going to do it at the Roxy uh, Cinema and the Roxy uh, Hotel down in Tribeca on Saturday, uh, May 7th at 12 noon. We're going to uh, show the film uh, to a dedicated group of WBGO jazz listeners and talk cinema folk in New York who come from all over the, the Metroplex area of New York. And we invite you all folks all to come down to the screening um and uh, participate a little bit in uh jazz fest nola through uh frank's film and uh ryan suffern his co-director and producer you know i i want to throw to frank a little bit here because i'm interested from a, a film point of view all these music folks frank may not really appreciate just your filmography and uh i think you know for a short 
you're called the whale when it comes to you know production. You've done all the Indiana Jones and the Jurassic Parks and the Bournes and the Money Pit and Roger Rat on and on as Doug, Doug started to, to go through your list. But the important part is, is you've had the uh, experience of commanding battleship systems and budgets. I mean, you're, you're not driving a sailboat. And here, uh, you know, and that means that money can resolve a lot of problems when it comes to filmmaking. So were you able to bring some of those big budget solutions to a documentary size production? Well, I think definitely in this case, Harlan, because um, we had to figure out how to do this and and shoot the the musical. Oh, there he is. The musical artists uh, over this, you know, uh, eight day festival. There's Quint Davis. Hello. Hey. Sorry great, for the delay. Great to see you, Quint. Now nah, you're you're in good shape. We'll we'll uh, Frank's wrapping up uh, uh talking about the budget that's involved in this film, and then we're we're gonna bring you into the conversation. Great to see you. Great to see you. Well, Frank would know more about the budget than anyone since <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, unfortunately, the budget for documentaries is not quite like it is for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um so we, we had to be very diligent about how we put this together. And it was a real logistic challenge. Uh, I had three camera crews and uh, we would trade off on and and my co-director, Ryan Suffern, and uh, we would trade off and decide who was going to do what. And then on the big acts like Pitbull or Jimmy uh, Buffett, we would bring everybody together to shoot. But the great thing is we were shooting on IMAX cameras. So not only do we have this fabulous sound that we mixed up at Skywalker Ranch, um, we have a gorgeous picture uh, to put up on the screen. So uh, all of those things came together under the guidance of Quint Davis, who, who there were several acts I did not know, and he steered us in the right direction to capture not only the old, but the new and upcoming artists. Quint, I have to ask you, did tears come down at any point while you were going over this documentary because it is so wonderful the archival footage i can imagine the memories and the things that would come back into your mind as the the producer of this uh, incredible what they call the world's greatest backyard barbecue right so what was your reaction when you finally saw everything put together um i was shocked and humbled now, I've never seen myself on a screen, so that was pretty excruciating. <laughs> but the research that they did in finding things that I didn't know existed, uh, like the first days of the first year, George Weed standing in a field in 1972 saying, this is going to be a festival the whole world will come to. I mean, that's, that vision is, is just unbelievable, added to the vision of the festival itself. And that was another thing that was emotional to me. The story, George's story of how the festival came to be and was first born has never been told. I mean, there was a number of stories in here that have never been told before that are central. And then the way things were sewn together, like, like Irma, they had, I don't know, the footage was in like 72, <laughs> looks the same as she looks today, you know? And then they had pictures of her going way back and then they had her performance now, but the edits of what she was saying, because Irma is so, you know, well-spoken and such an icon in this, 
when she would talk about the rhythms of New Orleans and the drummers of New Orleans and the way the culture is combined here and not separate. Um, that, you know, I was told that the great film and filmmakers tells a story. And that's what a film is supposed to do. And that's what it did. And that's why you have Frank Marshall directing this film, because he is the master at it. So Quinn, we're not surprised about that. You know, it is clear in this documentary where, by the way, we're talking with Frank Marshall, Quint Davis, and Irma Thomas, and Harlan Jacobson here on the WBGO Journal. Sony Pictures Classic releasing Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story, May 13th, coming in a theater near you. And as Frank mentioned, yes, where it should be shown in the theater. Clear, though, in this doc, how everybody eats, everybody dances. The music we like, well, we vary a little bit on that. But we can all come together, especially in these tough times, not only with COVID, but everything else that's going on. It is music becomes that universal thing that you talked about, Irma. And it, tell us about when you see other groups there that, that are performing, how is, exciting is it to learn about other people's music and whatnot as a performer yourself? How do, how do you treasure that? You said the word treasure it because oftentimes you're watching someone who may not be there for the, the next jazz and heritage festival. So you want to enjoy that person, especially those that you've grown up listening to most of your life. And for me, I didn't become important to my family until the year that Stevie Wonder was there and I just happened to be watching him and he called me out to sing a song with him that I had recorded. Then after that, Grandma Irma became a special person to the family. Other than that, I was just Grandma Irma. But to me, the festival has represented a giant hug. And you know what it feels like to get a real good hug. And we have been able to give that large hug after some moments in our life here in Louisiana, especially in New Orleans. After Katrina, it was a giant hug. Now we're doing it after the pandemic. And when you walk out on that stage, it's like getting a very big, strong hug from a close friend whom you haven't seen in a long time. And that's what that Jazz and Heritage Festival represents to me when I'm watching other entertainers, not to, to critique what they're doing, but just to enjoy the fact that they're there. How difficult was it for Jazz Fest to survive? I can tell you that it's a real challenge. Hopefully we'll get them back. And, you know, um, they'd never been shut down before in the 50 years, you know, with all the, the, the weather problems they've had, they still were able to persevere. And it was not, he was not happy when he had to make the call not to have Jazz Fest in, I guess it was 2020. And then 21, you know, it was, they had lined up all these acts. It was, uh, it was really hard for Quint. Well, I suppose, you know, now that we're on the, that subject of, of uh, what makes New Orleans and Jazz Fest so special, is I, I was down in uh, February 2020, the week before Mardi Gras for my birthday, a big odometer change that week. And we just had the time of our lives and walking along, we just picked up and got into a second line. And I think that it, more than any other institution about New Orleans, um, that signifies how different that city is from the rest of America, uh, was second line. And I'm, I love the fact that you take time to explain that in the film and to go through second line. And every time I've ever been in New Orleans and seen Second Line, you do stop and say to yourself, well, why doesn't the whole world do Second Line? 
And maybe one or another of you can address just how important that is to understanding uh, who New Orleanians are and what the culture is all about that you captured in Jazz Fest. One thing that George said was they asked George to do a festival just like Newport. And he said, well, if you want that, get someone else. Because if you do a festival just like Newport, that's all you ever have, a festival just like Newport. But New Orleans has something that no one else will ever be able to claim, and that's the birthright of jazz. And Harlan, that's what you're talking about. And it's still so prevalent in New Orleans today because these social aid and pleasure clubs, and one of them dates back to 1885, they collected dues. And when a member died, they held this jazz funeral for the member based on the dues. And of course, they started, they, you know, were African Americans with European instruments. And they started out playing hymns, maybe in a normal way, but they were African Americans. So they started not only improvising, but a beat was formed in New Orleans. And in this case, it's a second line beat. And Irma talks about drummers outside of New Orleans not really being able to capture that beat. And from that moment, from that happening, Jazz was born as we know it. And that's something that only New Orleans has. And on the festival, gosh, we have 35 social aid and pleasure clubs. We have 30 brass bands. So the culture is, is sort of in a golden moment hundreds of years later, which is another thing that is very unique and very strong to New Orleans, that the traditions carry on from generation to generation. Frank, did you want to comment on, on that as well? No, I have to say that 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 it was one of the things that was important to me, and I, I'm sure it comes from my musical background. Is I, I wanted to explore what was special about this, and uh, I learned about the second line, and that's you know why we have it in the movie because it's such a special, unique uh, uh, rhythm to New Orleans, and and that jazz funeral is something. It's uh, and Irma, you can talk about that a little about that second beat. Second line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's something very special that unless a drummer has grown up in the city around it, it's very hard to teach a drummer how to do that. It's it's a feeling thing. You have to know where that extra beat comes in. And I I have discovered from traveling and using bands outside of the city of New Orleans who had drummers who didn't understand what I was talking about when I said put that extra beat in it. They didn't know where it belonged. So not being a, a musician myself, it was difficult for me to try to explain it. But it's very special to drummers who grew up in New Orleans. They start out as little kids when they first start walking. They find a stick and they beat on a pan or a can somewhere. And they learn it. They, they pick it up. And it's ironic how they do it. But you can find a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's walking, who's able to do that. When a when a band is coming through the city in their area, they will sit down and they'll be pick pick put on on whatever they're beating on, and they know that little extra beat. And it's it's really only New Orleans drummers are able to do it. Frank, I want to ask you as we have about five minutes left in this session, is that if you could have Dad with you, and uh, you get to go to Jazz Fest. What one venue there, what one concert do you think you and dad would enjoy the most together? And you're not allowed to say Irma, <laughs> but you have to pick somebody else. Who would it I be? I think uh, Sonny Landreth. Mm. 
Uh, Dad was a, a real aficionado of guitar. He started as a classic. He learned classical guitar first. Then um, uh, he was highly influenced by Django Reinhardt and then came out to California. And he was um, uh, the guitar player in the Johnny Green MGM uh, Orchestra, where every day he went to work playing the guitar in an orchestra. There were that many movies back in the 40s and the 50s. Um, but we loved guitar together. He kind of introduced Bossa Nova to, to Hollywood. Um, so many jazz guitar players from Howard Roberts, Joe Pass, uh, to you name it, uh, came, used to come by the house. So he loved guitar and guitar players. So I think Sonny, with his slide playing, would, uh, that's where we would have been together. One last question, Quint. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to get your thoughts. We know that the, the special point of it being in the theaters now, your chance to tell people why it's important that they take the time to see Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story. Well, something that Frank said to us was that this movie was the antidote. And it's an antidote to so many things. First of all, it's an antidote to these three years. The Jazz Fest has been gone for three years that we've spent in, you know, in Never Never Land without what music does and what li and live music does, which no other art form does. And that is you experience the creation of the art by the artist simultaneous to the artist creating it. And, and, then, and then your energy feeds their energy and their energy feeds yours. I want to thank our guests here today on the WBGO Journal, the incredible soul queen of New Orleans, singer Irma Thomas. Pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure to be with you. Quint Davis, what a pleasure to have you as well. And, you know, I know that you're excited about this film. We really appreciate you taking out some time for us today. Absolutely. The incredible Sorry. director, Frank Marshall, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Nice to be here to talk to you, Doug and Harlan. And I hope people enjoy the movie as much as we enjoyed making. And I hope you see it at the screening. Harlan will be there. Harlan, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Everyone, enjoy Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. You can see my entire interview with Frank Marshall, Quint Davis, Irma Thomas, and Harlem Jacobson on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz station, WBGO and WBGO.org.